The Avengers. That's what we call ourselves. Sort of like a team. Earth's mightiest heroes type thing. Avengers, time to work for a living. That's my secret. I'm always angry. I am on the side of life. You get hurt, hurt him back. You get killed, walk it off. I'm here to talk to you about the Avenger Initiative. I'm your host, Andrew, and I'm here to talk to you about the Avengers. Welcome to episode 69 of Some Assembly Required, your weekly adventure into the annals of Earth's mightiest heroes, the Avengers. This week, we are taking a look at Avengers number 64, like a death ray in the sky. This week's issue is written by Roy Thomas, pencils by Gene Colan, inks by George Klein, letters by Sam Rosen, and it comes to us in May of 1969. Taking a look at our cover today, to me, this cover is a bit on the messy side. There isn't really any kind of cohesive thought going on. You have all of the Avengers present, and you have them kind of struggling in these hands in outer space. The hands themselves are covered in stars. You see a little space station floating in the background. But we have no sense of who these hands belong to. All of the Avengers are accounted for. In the end, it actually is completely irrelevant to the story, whatever these hands are. And there's no good answers to why the Avengers are struggling against these hands the way they are, because the hands kind of just look as though they're outstretched in a very relaxed, normal position. Like if they were trying to squish the Avengers, you know, I'd understand that better, but they're really just there being very benign, doing a whole lot of nothing. So I don't understand what the threat or what the struggle here really is. So the cover is a little bit disappointing. It's very good art. It's just lacking any kind of cohesive thought behind it. So our issue starts off with the lyrics to Twinkle Twinkle Little Star as we zoom in onto a space station that is very 2001-esque, with the exception that this space station also mounts a ginormous laser cannon. As we progress through the first couple of panels, the laser cannon deploys and then fires on the Earth, and we see in a double-page spread on the next two pages that laser blast obliterates a Midwest town. It doesn't specifically call out that it is a Midwest town on these two pages, but we will find out later in the story that it is indeed a town in the Midwest of the United States. Now, this splash page is really, really, really well done. It does an amazing job of demonstrating the utter destruction that is laid upon this town from this super weapon. Obviously, this is released in 1969, but for those of us who are living in a post-1977 world, there's a lot of Star Wars reminiscent of this, especially now that we have Rogue One and we've seen the Death Star doing the single reactor firing that doesn't blow up a planet, but blows up like a city, like on Jeddah or on Scarif. This reminds me of that, but even on a smaller scale, but the pages do a really great job of demonstrating that destruction. The one thing I really don't like here though is that the two pages are split as individual panels instead of a true double page spread and at first I thought it might be something that the digital edition had done for reasons unknown but then I realized that the title overlaps the panel lines a little bit and so obviously that was done intentionally. Now later in the issue we will see a full normal double page spread so there's no reason they couldn't have done it here they just chose not to and it's unfortunate because this nice big white line down the middle of this scene is 
is really unfortunate and breaks up the art a little bit too much and detracts a little bit from the glory that is this double page spread. As we catch up with the Avengers, they are in Avengers Mansion watching the news reports come in about this destruction. Not only that, but we get a little bit more information that it was done by one of the villains we saw last issue, Egghead, and he is once again delivering an ultimatum that the United States has to agree to his terms in four hours or there's going to be another similar blast. Our Avengers are sitting discussing what's going on, talking about how surrender in this case would be total capitulation, things like that. And also Wasp mentions that prior to the destruction of the city, Egghead warned the city so that no one was injured. And I get that this is the era of the comics code, so that was likely a consideration in adding that dialogue to slide this through the code. But unfortunately, it really downplays the death and destruction of the opening sequence, which in turn significantly undermines the threat that is posed by Egghead in this issue. Again, Egghead is an intellectual villain, so by definition, intimidation is difficult because he doesn't have that physical presence that other villains may have. Even those that have amped up powers like Magneto have more of a presence than the intellectual villains. And of course you have ones like Doctor Doom that have a little bit of everything. They've got the character, they've got the presence, they have the intellect, they have the muscle. Doom's got it all. Whereas Egghead is just a really smart, slightly weird looking guy. So for him to be intimidating, he's got to have some real solid threats behind him. So as the Avengers ponder what they're going to do about trying to find this space station, because they know it's out there, but their instruments can't detect it, Black Widow and this larger-than-life figure walk in, and because Hank Pym is already in the room, they pretty quickly figure out who it is, that it is Hawkeye, and that he has obviously taken Goliath's new costume and Hank Pym's new growth serum, and he has taken on the identity of Goliath. Being among friends, Hawkeye, of course, removes his mask and identifies himself. And as everybody is starting to wrap their brains around this change, Yellow Jacket asks the question that's probably on everyone's mind, and that is, what about Hawkeye's career as an archer? That's been his thing all along. And in response to this, Goliath picks up his bow and snaps it in half between his two fingers. Now, I understand that Hawkeye breaking his bow is symbolic of the fact that the character isn't going back to his old ways anytime soon that he is no longer an archer he is now Goliath. He now has superpowers. I do, however, find this act a little bit over the top. Knowing what we know about the growth serum and about the powers that come with it, I have no inkling that Hawkeye is going to go back to his old ways anytime soon and that he is going to embrace this Goliath persona. So the fact that he has to destroy his bow, and yes, I understand bows are replaceable, so it's not that big a deal, but because he chooses to physically destroy it, I felt it was unnecessary necessary, right? We know he's not going back. We don't need to put this extra barrier between him and a return to his old life. Finally, as the Avengers start catching Goliath and Black Widow up on what's been happening, because they've been making their way back from their Coney Island adventure, Jarvis alerts the Avengers that he is escorting someone in, not a 
superhero. So they go ahead and put their masks back on, make sure that they are in costume in disguise. And Jarvis introduces a gentleman, rather shady looking, in my opinion, named Barney Barton. And as we find out, Barney Barton is a local, for lack of a better term, mob boss. He's not a mafioso. He's not an Italian mobster. But he runs a lot of criminal organizations in New York at this point. And apparently, according to Jarvis, Mr. Barton just came up, rang the doorbell, introduced himself, and asked to speak to Hawkeye. Now, Hawkeye is none too pleased with this. In fact, he is far less pleased in general with what's going on than you might expect. However, he does seem to hold on to his senses just a little bit, and instead of trying to kick him out like Yellow Jacket does, he instead tells Yellow Jacket to hold off because Barney has offered information regarding the location of this space station, and it is the Avengers' duty to try and find this space station and to end the threat. Because again, Egghead has threatened to destroy a city in four hours if the United States doesn't capitulate. So the Avengers are on a clock. Hawkeye realizes that any help they can get is greatly appreciated. So Mr. Barton proceeds to relay the story of how he got this information. Because of course, the Avengers don't strictly believe him. They want to know what's going on. So Mr. Barton relays this story that the villain Egghead approached Mr. Barton and several of his associates about being a part of this little venture as Egghead refers to it. Now, Barton's a little fuzzy on, like, what that actually entails, like, what Egghead wanted from them. But, needless to say, Barton refuses. Mostly because he doesn't believe Egghead is telling the truth. This whole space station idea seems a little bit far-fetched. Again, we're talking May 1969, so we're still about two months away from the Apollo 11 landing. So, landing on the moon at this point, isn't even a guarantee. You know, the United States has come very close in its efforts, but we haven't actually made the attempt yet. So space stations are just a little bit further out. They're within the realm of possible, but only just. Like, they're on the very outer fringes of what is possible of science. So Mr. Barton and his associates leave this meeting and decide that they really don't want any part of it. Not because they're concerned about the fact that Egghead is a villain, but because they don't think that he's telling the truth, that this is a feasible thing he's doing. And as they get into their car, they are attacked by a gleaming silver robot that both looks at least a little bit and sounds like Egghead. This robot proceeds to pull all of the men out of the car and gun down Barton's associates. Barton manages to hide under the car and therefore save his life. And because of this treachery on the part of Egghead, Barton comes to the Avengers to give them this information. When the Avengers press him on his reasoning for doing this, it really is very self-serving. You know, he basically says, I'm playing the odds, and if things go my way, if you guys stop Egghead, I'm going to be this great hero because I brought you this information, and I want to be a hero. Barton compares himself to Charles Lindbergh, where Hawkeye then immediately compares him to Dillinger, right? a very well-known, very charismatic criminal. Goliath isn't buying any of this story. He refers to it as being phony as a $3 bill. And, you know, because of his motivations, Hawkeye thinks that he's just 
in it for a meal ticket and that he's not telling the truth. But Black Panther, who is still our chairman at this point, and the other Avengers point out that, you know, just because his motivations are self-serving doesn't mean he's lying. And it doesn't mean that it's not worth investigating. Because literally at this point, the Avengers have no other leads as to where this space station is. The Avengers need something, and right now they're grasping at straws, and this is the only straw that's available. They're going to go investigate. The Avengers and Barton all pile into the Avengers spacecraft, and they take off in search of this space station. And as it turns out, the space station is exactly where Barton says it should be. Now, because this space station is controlled by a supervillain, right, they don't want somebody just showing up, so all of the hatches are locked. So Vision passes himself through the spaceship, through the hull of the space station, and unlocks the hatches so that the Avengers can land. Well, once again, we're seeing how useful Vision's powers are proving, but it does make me wonder how human-like Vision actually is. Originally, Vision is described as being basically human, but everything is synthetic. Synthetic heart, synthetic lungs, skin, the whole nine yards. Everything about him is the same as a human, but artificial. So my question here is, at least in some regards, wouldn't Vision be susceptible to some of the same problems that humans are susceptible to? Specifically, here I'm thinking about vacuum. Now in the future, Marvel is going to ignore the effects of vacuum for loads of characters like Thor and Thanos, the real heavy hitter characters. And Vision is kind of one of those. But at least based on the description we have of Vision so far, it seems like Vision should be more affected by vacuum than he is. So I'm just kind of wondering how close to human is Vision actually? Of course, we're not going to get that answer because just as Vision unlocks the hatch so that the Avengers ship can dock, more of these egghead robots which, oddly enough, appear to be hugging in the first panel we see them. It's kind of weird, not gonna lie. Don't know what the robots are doing up there when nobody else is around, but apparently they're cuddling. But when the Avengers board the station, the robots stop their cuddling, and they attack the Avengers. Initially, things are going very, very well for the Avengers, because this isn't their first rodeo, and at this point, they're pretty good at smashing robots. But unfortunately for them, as part of their team up just before this issue, Puppet Master left Egghead with some radioactive dolls of the Avengers. And Egghead exposes them to this paralysis ray. And so whatever effect is done to these dolls is then carried out onto the Avengers. So within moments, although the Avengers are doing a fantastic job of defeating these robots, they soon succumb to the effects of this paralysis. Now here is where we see that second double page spread that I mentioned before. And again, it's a nice double page spread, but there's no panel separation line. Again, I don't know why we couldn't do it earlier in the issue. I will say my one complaint is that this fight sequence seems a little bit too tightly zoomed in. Goliath's boot, Yellow Jacket's foot, portions are just slightly cut off. If they'd done a little bit better job of framing and, again, to use a camera concept, but zoomed out just a little bit, I think we would have gotten a slightly better looking double page spread. It's not a bad spread. I really like the action going on. But at the same time, it bugs me that it's so tightly framed here. Now, as I mentioned, Puppet Master left these dolls of all of the Avengers. So that is what Egghead is using to affect the Avengers. However, the Avengers aren't the only ones who came to 
the space station. As I mentioned before, Barney Barton also came to the space station. So unlike the Avengers, Barney is unaffected by this paralysis beam, and Barney is able to bum-rush Egghead, and it's unclear how this happens, but there's an explosion, and Egghead's machine is destroyed, and the Avengers are set free. Unfortunately, because of this, Barney has paid the ultimate price. In the conclusion of our issue, Goliath finds Barney in his final moments, and Barney whispers to Goliath and calls him Clint. As Goliath is standing there cradling this broken man, telling him not to worry that they're going to get him to a doctor, that he's going to be okay, Barney says it's weird how they've both made it big, but that Goliath got what Barney wanted, but that maybe in the end he got a little bit of it too, a little bit of that fame. And then Barney dies in Goliath's arms. What our final panel reveals in a rather heartbreaking moment is that this gangster, this 'er ne'er-do-well, was in fact Goliath's older brother. So the Avengers arrive on scene and they ask about the fact that Barney referred to Goliath as Clint. Because as you and I know, Goliath's real name is Clint Barton. But the Avengers don't know this fact until now. Up until now, Goliath, and previously Hawkeye, has held on to his identity. The Avengers don't know who he is behind the mask. So this revelation that this criminal knew who he was drives Hawkeye to reveal that Barney is in fact his brother. And, you know, this last page is extremely extremely touching is extremely heart-wrenching the brothers get to share one final moment that despite what's come between them and the different paths they chose in the end clinton barton was able to be there for his brother as we will find out barney was there for clint in a lot of ways when they were younger and i think it was important for clint in order to be there for barney's last moments when he needed someone so unfortunately we end this issue on a really rather sad note Overall, again, I don't think this is a particularly strong issue, but it does give us a lot of information about Hawkeye's background, and I always find that valuable information. The more we know about these characters, the more we can relate to them, the more they become human to us, and the more depth of story that can be written with them. If I'm not particularly invested in a character, you can write an amazing story, but if I don't have a reason to care, it's meaningless. If you give me a good reason to care, like giving the character this kind of depth, then I'm absolutely on board and I want to know more. Having said that, again, the art is still very strong. Gene Colan does a really good job on this issue, much like he did with last issue. So the art helps support the less than stellar plot. I will say that this issue is stronger than last issue. It's a lot less forced. And there's a little bit more of a coherent narrative other than the Avengers go out and do stuff. Egghead conceptually is a stronger villain in this issue than last issue. Though, as I mentioned earlier, they used a little bit of the dialogue to nerf some of that effective but there is at least a thread of continuous plot here as opposed to things need to happen so that Hawkeye does stuff, which drove me kind of crazy last issue. Remember, you can find us at AvengersAssembly.com, you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and you can find this podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, or YouTube. Next week, we're going to be taking a look at Avengers number 65, Mightier Than the Sword. All right, hey. All right, good job, guys. Let's just not come in tomorrow. Let's just take a day. Have you ever tried shawarma? There's a shawarma joint about two blocks from here. I don't know what it is, but I want to try it.